This morning, we're going to conclude our series on the names of God, which has really, for me, been going on for quite a while since September, um, because I think it was September 17th was the day I was invited to sort of officially candidate. I'm not sure if I have the date correct off the top of my head, but I was here in September, and you all were walking through the story of Abraham, and it happened to be that we were, as a body, you were in Genesis 17 that morning. So the sermon that was assigned to me coming in uh, from the outside was to speak on Abraham's story in Genesis 17, where God gives him a new name. He names him, he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, but God also reveals his name El Shaddai to Abraham because up until that point, Abraham didn't have a personal, divinely revealed name of God. He just called God El, or, or the generic name for God, and so God revealed a name to Abraham. And that, that got me thinking as I was preparing for that sermon that week, and then as God affirmed my call here, that um, I felt a stirring in my spirit that we would spend time together looking at some of God's names, because God wants to name himself to us, and he wants to also name us. And that's been the whole premise of this series, is that God desires to name us as much as he did Abram back in Genesis 17. But our ability to live out the names that God gives us, the, the, the titles that he gives us as his children, as his sheep, and all the other beautiful names that God gives us, it's dependent first upon us knowing and receiving God's name. Because we don't have the power to live out the names that God gives us unless we have the power of God in us, which means we first have to know him in that intimate way. And so the whole series has kind of been building to today. And this is the most important name that we have for God. It's his most intimate and most personal name. It's the name that is spoken of by far, not even close, by far the most frequently in the New Testament. And it's this, that God is Father. This is his name. This is his eternal name for his people, Father. Everybody say, Father. Father. Look at your neighbor and say, God is your Father. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, I think it's verse 15, There's this interesting phrase. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And then he gets off on one of his classic Paul tangents. So he starts a thought and then goes somewhere else. You ever notice he does that all the time? So he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And then he has this little phrase here, but it's so important. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Think about that for a second. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Our name comes from that, the Father. Earlier in the passage in Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 3, verse 1, Paul writes, for this reason, see, he starts this thought all the way back at verse 1. For this reason, and then he's going to say, I I pray for you for this reason, and then he goes off on a 14-verse tangent. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, 
when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we have one family. Of this gospel, Paul writes, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this is still happening today. Through the church, God is making known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places his manifold wisdom. This was according, verse 11, to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, Not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now he gets back to that original thought in verse 1. For this reason. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Klein Snodgrass, that's a fun name. In the NIV application commentary, he writes, Paul again emphasizes, talking about that verse, God as Father. He refers to God as Father 42 times in his letters, of which eight are in Ephesians. There is no other description of God which is used so frequently in the New Testament. No doubt this goes back to Jesus' teaching his disciples to address God as Abba, the Aramaic word for father, used by both children and adults, but was considered by Jews to be too familiar to use without qualification in relation to God. Anybody know off the top of their heads what Jesus' first recorded words are? Yes. Well, close. In Luke, what happens when Jesus was a boy? Do you remember what he did when they went to Jerusalem? Yeah, and they, they, they stay, he, he stayed back at the temple and was, uh, was talking with the, the leaders in, in the temple. And his parents were looking for him. And they came back. And Mary's like, how could you do this to us? And Jesus says, yeah, he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? The first words we have recorded in Jesus' life. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Jesus addresses God as father 156 times in the Gospel of John. 156 times Jesus says to God, you're my father. 156 times in that one alone. In the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's 65 times. That, God, that Jesus calls God Father. This is 
far and away, not even close. It's far and away the name used most frequently by Jesus for God. There was this trajectory that God had set his people on, starting with Abraham, where he desired each generation to know him more intimately and know him more closely. And you can see this walking out because Abraham knows God in this very special way as God reveals his character to him. And then Moses and the people of that day knew God in even a great, with even greater revelation because God says his name is Yahweh, which describes something about his character that is just marvelous and mysterious and wonderful. He is, I am, the self-existent, eternal one. And then David walks with God in an intimacy that had never been seen before. He's got a whole heart fully after God. And he worships God with such freedom that he, as um, a person of the tribe of Judah, walks boldly into the tabernacle and, and eats the bread of the presence, which was supposed to be only for the priests. And God doesn't just rebuke him. In fact, he praises him. Later, And so God is, God is revealing intimacy more and more. And think about how closely Daniel walked, walked with God. Daniel's like one of my favorite books. I come back to it all the time. Daniel just walks so closely with God. And God desired to reveal himself and make himself closer and closer to his people. In fact, God's always trying to get here among us. It starts in the garden. He walks with his people. And then in the tabernacle, he dwells among his people. And in the temple, but he doesn't just desire to live in a building among his people. He actually wants to set up his kingdom here. And in the end, it says not that we will go there, but that there will come here. And God's dwelling place, this is the final chapter of the entire Bible. God's dwelling place will be here among us. Us, God desires to be so close. And then what happened after the exile and all the trauma and all the pain that happened is that trajectory of the people walking more intimately with God and closer with God all of a sudden had a radical halt. And out of that trauma, one of the things that happened was that the people in their their jealousy for God and their desire to not worship idols anymore, their overzealousness in some ways, what happened is that the religious leaders kept putting more and more and more burdens and rules on the people. And instead of God being taught to people as closer, God kept being taught as farther and more distant. The name Father for God is used 15 times in the Old Testament. That's it, 15 times, and it's never as a personal relationship. It's always as a title. In other words, God is father of Israel, and Israel is spoken of a son as of a son, or Israel is spoken of as a daughter. But no one, no one in the Old Testament would have dared to say to God, you're my father. You won't find it. Search the scriptures. You will not find in the Old Testament anyone who addresses God as my father. So think about the audacity of this. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, gathers the people 
And he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. This becomes such a crucial battle, spiritual battle. It becomes such a crucial sticking point in Jesus' ministry because there's several points that when Jesus calls God Father, the, the leaders, it says they pick up stones to stone him. So in, in John chapter 8 and 9, this is what's happening where Jesus is calling and addressing God as Father. And it says the Pharisees and the leaders picked up stones to kill him because he dared to address God as Father. So Jesus, as far as we know, is the first, and this is so fitting, he's the first person to have the relationship where he stands before God and says, you're not just like a father, you're my father. But you're not just my father, you're our father. So when you pray, pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name is holy. He doesn't just call him father, we know he calls him Abba. And we don't really have a good translation for that in English. The closest we might have is daddy, but it's not quite daddy. It's, it means my dear father. So there's still that level of deep respect. But there's this level of close intimacy. My dear father. Last night I had a pretty wild experience. Um, I was sound asleep, and um, our daughter Gracie came into our room crying, and she crawled up in bed. She's four years old, and she crawled up in, in the middle of our bed, and she grabbed my head and started cradling me like a baby. And she was, like, just cradling my head, and she was crying, she had had a dream that wolves were attacking me and, 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 and biting me. And so she'd come crying into our room and was just holding me as close as she could as if she were protecting me. And as I was laying there, my little girl's arms are wrapped around my head and she's crying over me. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, this is how you're to interact with me. This is how you're to know me, your father. This is how you're us. To crawl up, not just in his lap, but to have the intimacy with him because of Jesus that we might actually cling to him and wrap our arms around him and hold him as our dad. Just like marriage, parenting, God's parenting of us, it's, it's not like God looked down and said, oh, I like how humans interact with one another. I really like how dads act towards their children. I'm going to be a dad. And it's not like he looked down at us and said, I really like husbands and wives. That's a cool concept they came up with. I'm going to be like that towards my church. It's the other way, right? God has eternally been father, always been father. That is who he is in the deepest sense of who God is, is father. And every human relationship that has any kind of value in the parenting relationship of a father or mother towards a child is a derivative of God 
towards his people, not the other way around. The same with marriage. God's covenant towards his bride reaches back into eternity past and reaches forward into eternity future. And so our relationship with Christ is modeled, well, our relationship with one another is modeled upon that eternal covenant. So God's eternal, eternal identity with us is as Father. Every family in heaven and on earth derives their name from the, from the Father. Yahweh's personal name is Father. Think about this for a second. Yahweh's personal name is Father. Yahweh, that, that name for God, I am, is used over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. It's just, that's how you address God. He is I am. He is I am. But that's not really a personal name. It's a, it, 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 in some ways, it describes the vastness and greatness of God, and it's true. And it's true. But that's not an intimate name. I hope you don't call your dad your father. I am, <laughs> even though he was before you. So Yahweh's personal name is Father. I think I've said this before, but it just sticks in my mind. It's so important. Um, Andrew Murray, the devotional writer, he, he is, he's written that the whole Old Testament, what it's really about is about God's holiness. And that's true. The Old Testament is all about the otherness and the greatness and the vastness and the glory and the might and the supremacy of God. And the entire New Testament is about him as father, which is why it just is spoken over and over and over again in the New Testament. God is your father. God is father. God is father. And all of scripture together speaks that God, yes, God is Yahweh. He is holy. And he is, we can't relate to him. In many ways, we're not like him. He is other than us. But for whatever amazing reason in his greatness and mercy and grace and love, he's chosen not to relate to us as other. He's chosen to relate to us as father. So yes, he is other, but he has asked us to know him as father. Have any of you struggled with that tension before? The greatness and distance and goodness and largeness of God and yet the intimacy of him. So th- follow this mind puzzle or exercise with me. You ever, anybody else ever, I- I'm fascinated by this, look at pictures of the earth or the galaxy from the latest, you know, satellite pictures that are out there and, and think about the smallness of us. You think about, like, in the vastness, there's always more stars that are being discovered. There's billions upon billions upon billions of stars. There's more than we can wrap our minds around. And then you think about our galaxy, and it's actually really small in the midst of the universe. And then you think about our solar system, and it's really small in, in, within the, the galaxy. And then you think about our planet, 
And then, I mean, none of us, I've gotten to travel some cool places in my life. I'm a missionary kid, so I've been around the world. I don't think if any of us dedicated our entire lives to traveling, we'd ever be able to see all there is to see on this earth. And it's so small. It's so small in the vastness. And then you go down from there to our little region, and then down from there to your family, and then down from there to you. And we can just join in the cry of the biblical writer, who am I that you are mindful of me? Think about that. And God, Yahweh, he holds that in the palm of his hand. That, like all of that vastness and greatness and beyond imagination, he holds it in the palm of his hand. And then he himself, who holds that thing in the palm of his hand, inserts himself down in the most small, intimate way and becomes Christ, born of the flesh, born of a woman, as small and as limited in time and space and history as you and I are today. The fullness of God pleased to dwell in man. And he walks among us and suffers, and he teaches us to know the Yahweh who holds the universe like this as Abba, Papa, my dear Father. That's hard to get your mind around. That is hard to get my mind around. The goodness. John writes in 1 John, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And then he says, and we are. And there's an emphasis there in the Greek. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and we are. I am a child of God. You are a child of God. You should join in and say, I am a child of God. His personal name, his Father, this is his name. This is what he tells us to call him. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You have a name, and it comes from God, and his name is Father, and your name is derived from his name. In the Philippines where I grew up, you don't ask one another, what's what's your last name? You ask one another, what's your family name? Which I like a lot better. I think that's cool. Maybe they did that in a previous generation here. Is that something that happened? Those of you who are blessed with gray hair... Is that, was, it, was, that a, was that a generational thing? Or, or has it always been, you ask, what's your last name? There's something kind of cold about that, right? What's your last name? And, I mean, there's a billion Martins. There's nothing special about my last name. Everyone thinks I'm from Lancaster County, even though I've, I've ne- Yeah, potato chips are special about my name. I've never lived a day in Lancaster, but everyone assumes I'm from there. There is something special about my family name, though something special about your family name, which I really like that question. So I love it when Filipinos ask one another or ask me, what's your family name? And then I can answer that. Well, my last name's Martin, and there's like, I don't know, what, three million people on earth who have the last name Martin. What's your family name? That's a different question. There's not many people who have my family name. And I can tell stories about my family name. 
Paul, writing in the midst of the Roman culture of the day, the, the Romans were the ones, Rose and I were having fun doing the research together about this. She's Italian. And we were doing research about this this week. The Romans were the ones who came up with the concept of having like um, the name in the way that we do today, even though it's changed, obviously, over the thousands of years since then. But they were the ones who kind of came up with the modern concept of, of naming. And so Paul, you notice how none of the biblical writers, are they don't have a last name. It's just, it's still first name. And, and that was developing in that culture, having multiple names so you could identify people as population growth expanded. And um, so Paul's saying in this time when people are getting family names um, for official documents and all of this, and it's happening in a new way in the culture, he says, every family in heaven and on earth has this family name. Father. Comes from the Father. For this reason I bow my knees, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with with all the fullness of God. All right, take that picture again. Zoom out with me in your imagination and look down upon the smallness of us in the greatness of the universe and the greatness of God holding it in the palm of his hand. May the fullness of Yahweh, all that he is, dwell within you. I hope you're fit to be expandable. Because God desires for his fullness, the fullness of who he is, to dwell not among you, not just beside you. He wants the fullness of who he is to dwell within you. Within you, just like Christ. It says the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Paul says, may the fullness, may you be filled with all the fullness of God. How are you filled with all the fullness of God? It's all about the name. It's all about knowing God as dad. In this wonderful, beautiful passage in Romans 8 where Paul says we're more than conquerors and there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons, that whole argument begins with this. In verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him and in Galatians chapter 4 my favorite Christmas passage he writes Paul writes I mean that the heir here he is again talking about that as long as he is a child is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything but he is under guardians and managers until the date set aside by his father in the same way also we were children 
we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. Formerly, he says, you didn't know God, but now you have come to know God. How does the fullness of God dwell within us? Ask yourself that. Like, seriously, ask yourself that question. How does the fullness of God dwell within me? The Spirit of God lives within you. God's Spirit lives within you. God is not bound by space. So all of his bigness can be in the tininess of a spirit dwelling within a person. All of eternity can dwell within you. All the vastness of God's creation can dwell within you through the spirit because he's not bound by time and space. And so the spirit within you has a primary, a primary relational goal. And the primary relational goal of the Holy Spirit is to stir within you in such a way that you know God as Abba, Father. That you walk into the bedroom and crawl up in the bed and lay yourself in his arms and you cry with him and you sing to him and you know him and you walk intimately with him. No guilt in life, no fear in death. That's impossible without knowing God as dad. The only way that you can truly find freedom from guilt and fear from death, freedom from fear of death, is by knowing God as dad. That's the only way. And within you, friends, please hear this. Within you is a desire that is the core of who you are. It is the most important desire that you have. You might, in your flesh, desire for all sorts of things, some of them good, some of them not so good, and some of them neutral. But in your spirit, in your soul of souls, in who God has made you to be, there is a heart cry within you that all of us share, and it's this, to know God as Dad, as Abba Father. So whether or not you've been able to dig down with the Spirit and recognize that longing, that is the deepest longing, that God has planted within you to know him and walk with him as your heavenly father, your Abba father. So what I would like to do is to invite you to be named by God today. Because perhaps you've never found the freedom to interact with God closer than just Yahweh. And that's a start. Knowing God as Yahweh is good because he is Yahweh. But that is not his end goal for you or desire. His desire is that you would know him with the intimacy of Christ. That you would know him within the deepest soul of souls within you. That you would know him as dad. So what I would invite you today, all the titles that we've looked at over the last two months, all the names of God, it all really comes down to this. Yes, he's your shepherd. Yes, he's your banner. Yes, he's your healer. Yes, he's all of those things. But if you have all of that and don't get this, then you'll miss it. 
Jesus said to the Pharisees, one of his major rebukes is, you spend so much time worrying about the lesser things while you ignore the weightier, the heavy things. You don't pay attention to the heavy things. What did Jesus give the most weight to? If we look at his life and see how Jesus interacts with him relationally, what did Jesus give the most weight to? Knowing him as father. That is what Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has said is the weightiest thing, the meatiest thing, the most important thing is this, to know God, worship him and love him, adore him, walk with him, yes, in fear, but also in intimacy and closeness as Abba, Father. This is the weighty thing. So you can know God in all sorts of ways about him, about his rules, about things that he said, stories from the Bible. But if you miss this, that God is your father, then you've missed the deepest thing within your soul that he planted there. This is who you are, children. This is who I am. A child of God. It's my deepest identity and it's your deepest identity. So live like it and believe it. If I would translate that prayer, because it's hard to follow Paul's thoughts. They're really cool if you take time to kind of diagram it and break it down, that prayer. But it's, he's just like, he's just naming stuff off. So it's easy to read over it and miss it. But this is, would be my translation of it for us. Paul writes, this is why I'm constantly praying for you that you would be strengthened with power through God's spirit in your innermost being, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that your foundation in every aspect of your life would be God's love, that you would have the strength to comprehend along with all of God's family the universal dimensions of Christ's love, that you would know that which is impossible to know by human strength, for it is beyond human knowledge, and that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Immediately following the prayer, he says, now to him, this is one of the most beautiful benedictions in the scriptures. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then he says, therefore, which whenever you see a therefore, you ask, what's it there for? Therefore, because of what he just prayed and what he just said, our name based on the name of the Father, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. You are a child of God, so live like it. You are God's child, so live like it the chains fall off you, let the guilt fall away and the shame fall away and the fear fall away. This is a teaching for another day, but it is so worth saying right now. You know, God is so jealous of our fear because we worship what we fear. Whatever you're afraid of, you worship. Because your thoughts go towards it, your attention goes towards it, likely your money goes towards it in some way, your conversations go towards it, your dreams at night go towards it. What you fear, you worship. 
Which is why God says in Deuteronomy 6, I'm a jealous God. And I'm jealous of your fear. You shall fear the Lord your God. And fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in Proverbs, wisdom is synonymous with worship. Which is why it later says fear of the Lord is the beginning of worship. We worship what we fear. So when God says, fear me, do you know what he actually desires? He wants your thoughts. He wants your worship. He wants you to be concerned about him. He wants you to take all the things that you're so consumed with and just say, for the love of God, it's yours. Like literally, for the love of you, it's yours. That's why God's so jealous of us fearing him and him alone. It's not so that he would dominate us. God doesn't want you to be scared of him. He wants you to fear him so that your worship pours out towards him. He wants you to fear him so that all of he cares for you. Peter says, so cast your cares upon him. Cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. So many of us have broken relationships with our parents and it is difficult to look at that relationship and say, how can you, God, be anything like that? And this is where it's so important to remember that that is not based on this. This is meant to be based on that. So if you have had an abusive relationship with a parent, may the God of all comfort and the Holy Spirit who heals, may he heal you. Because the enemy desires to deceive us in the most in the ways that God would put the weight the weighty things that Jesus desires for us to know what's the enemy going to attack most if God cares most about us knowing about him as father what's the enemy going to go after first the family the parents the human relationships making them abusive making them fall short Because it's so difficult to see past that lens to see God. It takes a lifetime to learn to see this, not based on this, and then to learn how to do this based on this. It takes a lifetime to untangle those things, and the enemy just goes after it and goes after it and goes after it and goes after it. And so for those of you who grew up in an abusive relationship with your father, it is difficult, and I understand that. But hear this, that God so longs, so longs to comfort you, And to hold you in his arms like your parents were supposed to. He is the good father. He is the perfect father. The loving and gentle and tender father. Stacy, you can grab Josh. Josh is helping out with the kids today. Some of the names we've looked at in this series are he's our shepherd and we're his sheep. He's our healer, which means he's made us clean, which means we're fit to be his temple. His presence is pleased to dwell within us because he's cleaned us. He's our banner, which means we're victorious because he waves over us. He is the word of God, the eternal logos, which means he's enlightened us in John 1 and says, the word, the logos has enlightened men, which means we are the light of the world, which is what he says to his children in the Sermon on the Mount. He is the son of God, which means we are his adopted children. He is the lamb of God. He has made us a kingdom and priests. And this, the most important one, he is your father and you are his child. He's your father and you are his child.
This is what all of Scripture builds up to. This is what the testimony of Christ lives up to. And there are mysteries within this that you could spend the rest of your lives, and I hope you do, chasing hard after holiness and righteousness in God. And the invitation will consistently be to know him more and more in that righteousness and holiness as Abba, Father. Worship team, I invite you to come up. While the worship team's coming up, let's just quiet our hearts for a moment and let God name you as his child. Let him name himself as father. Know that his holy word has described him in this way, that the New Testament gives this name to God. He is father. That this name appears over and over again in every context, that he is father. He is your father. He is Jesus' father. He is the earth's father. He's meant to be the earth's father. He desires to father all people in Christ. He desires to adopt all people through Christ. He desires that none should perish. But we are only children through Christ. We are only children through the cross. We are only children through adoption and the resurrection. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 3. We become children through the resurrection. So family at Parker Ford, be named by God today. You are his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. And he is your father. God, we thank you for this. We bless you as our Father. Help us know this. This is an awesome teaching. Not in the sense that I did an awesome job. I stumble and fail. I mean it's awesome in the sense that it's truly awe-inspiring to look at you as Father and look at your word and to recognize that this is your desire and this is what you say over and over again. Help us walk out the tension of fearing you rightly, worshiping you in a way that is honoring to you, and walking with you intimately and crawling up in your arms. Help us know you in that way, God. We need your spirit to stir within us, Abba, Father. So in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the firstborn of creation, I pray that the spirit of God would stir within you right now. And that within your innermost being, you would be filled with all the fullness of God. And that the spirit of God, stirring the fullness of God within you, would speak this to you. Cry out to him, Abba, Father. Know him as dad. Don't be scared of him in that way. He desires to speak to you as his father speaks to his child. This is who he is, and this is who you are. Pray this in your name. Let's stand and sing, Good, Good Father.